Have you ever felt on top of the world? Energy pulsating through your veins, ready to take on any challenge that comes your way? Most people at some point in their lives have felt invincible, unstoppable, almost godly. And yet, these very same people have, at other points in their lives, felt weak, incapable, deflated, and worthless. If we take a step outside ourselves and realize that everyone experiences this, we're likely struck by how strange and paradoxical this is. How can we feel so capable and then so powerless, so brilliant and then so worthless, so full and then so empty in such a short span of time, or maybe even simultaneously? There's a fundamental truth that lies at the root of this experience, one that sheds light on the inner meaning of a very strange event in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Korach. The story of Korach is often classified as one of rebellion, but it can also be seen as mistaken idealism, a, a philosophical challenge, or misplaced spiritual yearning. On the surface level, it seems that Korach attempted a coup, rallying supporters from amongst Klai Israel in an attempt to overthrow Moshe and Aaron's leadership. Chazal, however, add multiple mysterious layers to Korach's attempted rebellion that far surpassed the idea of a typical attempt to simply seize power. The Midrash fills in the background behind Korach's argument, explaining that the specific contentions that Korach brought to support his case were more than the actual psukim themselves say. What, what does the Midrash say? It says that Korach challenged Moshe as follows. Should a room full of Sfarim require a mezuzah on its doorpost? In other words, should a room full of holy objects require the finishing touch of a mezuzah affixed upon its doorpost? And similarly, Korach asked, should a four-cornered garment made completely of tchilas require tchilas in its strings? Meaning, if the garment itself is made of tchilas, why require additional tchilas in its strings? Now, these questions simply led up to Korach's main question, which is the question in the Pasuk itself, which is that if the entire Jewish people the entire Jewish nation is holy and exalted, kol ha'eda kulam kedoshim, then why should you, Moshe and Aaron, hold uniquely exalted positions of power? In other words, why do we need you as spiritual leaders if we are all, in fact, spiritually perfect? And although one could possibly find elements of truth in Korach's claim, his approach and his arguments are critically flawed and ultimately lead to him being punished severely. Now, what happened? The Sukkim say that the ground itself opens up like a mouth and it consumes Korach and his followers and all of their possessions. Now, this punishment is strikingly unique, a fact that's not merely coincidental. As Moshe stands up to Korach's claims against his leadership, he specifically asks Hashem that Korach be punished in a new, unique, and unnatural way to prove that Moshe indeed acts only as a messenger, a shliach of Hashem. Moshe says that if Korach dies a natural death, 
the Moshe was not sent by Hashem. But if, however, Korach dies because Bria, Yivra, Hashem, Hashem creates something out of, out of the ordinary and the ground swallows them up and their possessions, then it should stand as a proof that Korach and his followers were in the wrong, acting against Hashem's will. Now, the nature of this punishment is quite strange. Why does Moshe emphasize that Korach must be punished by something completely novel? And why is the ground swallowing them up the proper punishment for their crimes? In order to answer this question, we have to delve into the depth behind Korach's argument to better understand where he went wrong. There are three spiritual perspectives, three main approaches in understanding the relationship between the physical world and spirituality. The first approach is that of monotheism which centers around the concept of one God. And within this worldview, Hashem is both all-perfect and completely transcendent. He resides beyond the universe of space and time, almost detached from the physical world. The second approach is that of pantheism, which asserts that the world we live in is itself God. In other words, there is nothing that transcends this world. This is a completely imminent perspective of Hashem, and what results from this theory is actually quite startling. If Hashem is the world and nature, then humanity is actually part of Hashem himself. And the common understanding of pantheism is that Hashem is the soul of the universe. The physical world is the expression of Hashem, but there is nothing more than Hashem other than what we see expressed in the universe. And the problem with this perspective is that it puts limitation on Hashem. For Hashem is nothing more than the universe itself. And furthermore, this breaks down the concept of halacha and boundaries. If one is part of Hashem, then one can easily claim that whatever he or she does is in fact the will of Hashem. Lastly, with pantheism comes a complete breakdown of boundaries. There's no difference between me and you, or between me and this rock, or even between me and Hashem, because after all, we're all Hashem anyways, right? And that really leads to this third approach, which is a more nuanced version of monotheism. It's called panentheism, which is a synthesis of these two extremes and the perspective of most Kabbalistic and mystical thinkers. According to panentheism, Hashem is both transcendent as in monotheism, and also imminent, as in pantheism. In other words, while at root Hashem is transcendent and infinite, He also manifests and expresses Himself in the physical world. And this differs from pantheism because it posits that Hashem is completely beyond and transcends this world as well. It differs from traditional monotheism because it posits that Hashem is not only transcendent, but also that the physical world itself is connected to an aspect of Hashem, that Hashem manifests and expresses Himself into this world. Now, what was Korach's sin? As many Jewish thinkers such as Rav Moshe Shapiro explain, Korach sinned in having a pantheistic view. He believed that the physical world, as well as all the people within it, are part of Hashem Himself, and therefore already spiritually perfect. Korach says, Kol ha'ida kulam kadoshim. The whole nation is holy. 
There's no difference between me and Moshe or me and Aaron or the Jewish people and their leaders. Within pantheism, there are no boundaries or distinctions and nothing higher to connect to. Hashem is only connected to the here and now. And therefore, we don't need to look for anything transcendent higher beyond this physical world. Now, if Korach's mistake indeed lay in his pantheistic worldview, then how were his questions and his proofs a reflection of that perspective? As we discussed last week, the purpose of Techelas and Tzitzis is to straighten the bent path, to help connect you back to Hashem, your source. So let's briefly recall the parable we mentioned last week. Imagine you're walking along a straight path. And at any point along this path, if you turn around, you can see where you came from. However, say that the path suddenly takes a sharp turn, bending away from its straight course. Now, if you turn around, you can no longer see the starting point of your journey. And the same is true of the physical world in which we live. Originally, the physical world loyally and perfectly reflected its spiritual root. When you looked around, you saw and experienced Hashem and knew that He created the world. It was like looking back down the straight path. However, after Adam sinned, the entire world fell. The world became a bent path, whereby it's no longer clear where we came from. When we look around, we no longer see a universe that loyally reflects its godliness. Now, what are tzitzis? Tzitzis are only required on a cornered garment. It's only when the garment ends and begins to bend that we are obligated to put tzitzis on those corners. The straight line of the tzitzis straighten the bent path of the garment. So the tzitzis represent our ability to source ourselves back to Hashem, even on a bent path. And the many details of tzitzis beautifully reflect this idea. We wear techelas, strings dyed a rich ocean blue color, to trace ourselves back to the sea, then to the heavens, then to the kisei hakavod, Hashem's throne, and then ultimately to Hashem himself. And additionally, the gematria, the numerical value of tzitzis, is 600. And when you add the eight strings and the five knots, you get 613, corresponding to the 613 mitzvos that we use to connect ourselves back to Hashem. Korach claimed that four-cornered garments made up of tchelas were already spiritual and therefore didn't require additional strings of tchelas. In other words, he claimed that spirituality can be self-contained, confined only to the garment itself without any need to connect to a higher source beyond the physical world. And in the same sense, the purpose of a mezuzah is to connect your physical makam, your physical room, back to its spiritual source, Hashem. So whenever you enter a room, you're immediately reminded to source yourself back to Hashem. Fascinatingly, the mezuzah is placed on a slanted bent angle on top of the doorpost. While this may appear to contradict the principle we just presented, it actually comes to add another layer of depth because it's only according to our limited perception that the mezuzah is crooked, that the mezuzah is bent. In reality, the world itself is crooked. It's only when we assume that our current and limited perception of the world is objective truth 
that will force the reality outside ourselves to conform to that perspective. But instead, we have to learn to realign our own perspective, our own perceptions with the truth. Instead of trying to align the truth, the straight path with our crooked and bent perception. In other words, we can't fit the truth into our worldview. We have to learn to fit ourselves into the truth. And this was Korach's sin. Korach claimed that a room full of svarim, spiritual books, was already a spiritual room and didn't need a mezuzah. It didn't need to be connected back to any outside spiritual source since the physical world can be self-contained and independently spiritual. In other words, Korach rejected the idea that we have to straighten the bent path. He claimed that the physical world was already straight and therefore doesn't require any more straightening. This is what he meant by kol ha'eda kulam kedoshim. He asserted that all of the Jewish people were already perfect, and as a result, Moshe and Aaron had no right to maintain any form of leadership. A leader is only necessary if a people need direction, but a people who are perfect do not require any hierarchy or leadership. So we can now understand why Moshe asked Hashem to create a chiddush, a new punishment specifically for Korach. From a pantheistic viewpoint, everything in this world is perfect, as it is already Hashem. And as a result of this, there can be no chiddush, nothing new. And the logic is simple. If there's nothing outside the system, if there's no transcendent force outside the physical world, there can also be nothing that comes into the world. For example, if there's nothing other than the seven notes in the musical skill, a new note cannot be created. Once you limit the system to what it is, nothing new can be added. So as a result, Moshe asked Hashem to add something new to the world, to add a new punishment, thereby punishing Korach Mida Kneged Mida, measure for measure. The very claim he made would become his punishment. He claimed that there's nothing outside the limited framework of the physical world. Nothing new can be added. So as a result, Hashem created a new punishment just for him. But we still have to ask, why specifically did Hashem choose to have the earth swallow Korach up? Is there a deeper meaning behind this specific punishment. So I think we can take this one step further and see the true beauty behind Korach's punishment. Korach's sin was most potently defined as gaiva, haughtiness. Because in essence, Korach claimed that he and all of Klai Yisrael were no different than Hashem himself. Korach single-handedly raised himself up to the level of perfection, of godliness. And while there's a kernel of truth in this idea, as we are all built B'Tselem Elohim, we're all created in the image of Hashem, we're all a chilek Elokamimah, we all have an aspect of Hashem within ourselves, Korach corrupted this principle and took it to the extreme. And this is why Korach's punishment was so fitting. Korach claimed that he was perfect, and in doing so, raised himself up to infinite heights. So as a consequence, Hashem opened up the earth, swallowing Korach and sending him to the very lowest of the lows imaginable. Korach's ego and haughtiness sunk to the deepest and most insignificant level possible. 
It's also very interesting to note that in Perch Tzadi Beis of Tehillim, the Pasuk says, Tzadik Katama Yifrach. The righteous will grow like palm trees. And if you look at the last letter of each of these words, it spells out Korach. Tzadik Katamar Yifrach. Korach. In other words, while Korach himself was destroyed and swallowed up by the earth, he was like a seed that was planted and would later sprout fruits. As a matter of fact, Rashi quotes Chazal who say that Korach's children survived Korach's punishment because they did teshuva as they were being swallowed up. Now, can you think of anything more profound and inspiring than this? Korach's entire claim lay in his belief that humans are already perfect and are therefore already godly. In other words, since we are already perfect, we not only don't need to change and grow, but we can't. It's impossible. We're already perfect. Something that's already perfect cannot change, cannot grow. It must remain static. The children of Korach survived by doing teshuva, the ultimate expression and embodiment of the human's ability and capacity to change, to grow, to transform from one state of being to another. The seed was planted and the righteous palm tree sprouted. It's no surprise that many years later, Shmuel Hanavi came from the seed of Korach, a tzaddik who devoted his life to climbing the spiritual ladder of growth and traveling across Eretz Yisrael, inspiring others to do the same. Korach's pitfall resulted in his actual pitfall. But we can be inspired from Korach to learn from his mistake and harness the ability, the beauty of being human. Our humanity is our unique godliness. We have the ability to grow, to become, to change, to evolve, to actualize more and more of our Tzalem Alakim and to achieve our destiny in this world. We aren't perfect. We're becoming perfect. We aren't Hashem. But we are meant to be striving every day to come closer and closer to Him.